The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, stop talking back to the waitress at Durgan Park and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 183, recorded live Thursday, June 15th, 2006. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net training developers to work smarter, and now offering a whole suite of on-site and remote classes in .NET 2.0 technologies, online at www.franklins.net. And by Telerik RAD Controls, the most comprehensive suite of components for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications, online at www.telerik.com. Support is also provided by Developer Express, crafting first-class tools, frameworks, and controls for the .NET developer. Improve your experience online at www.devexpress.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who can't possibly expect me to read this week's lame-ass joke and still respect myself in the morning, Carl Franklin! Thank you, thank you very much, Jeff, and welcome to another stellar episode of .NET Rocks. Uh, this week, Richard's not with us. In fact, uh, what we're hearing is a recording of that I made at TechEd when we were at the uh, party. This is the attendee party. Microsoft rented out Fenway Park in Boston, Massachusetts, and uh, the band Train played, if I remember correctly, and they had um, just, you know, food and drinks everywhere, and the whole park was open. We got to go out on the Green Monster, and uh, there were pitching machines. It was just just great, and this was for anyone who attended Tech Ed. So what happened was uh, I went all the way up to the top of the uh, box where, you know, uh, over home plate, and there was a table full of people that I knew there, and I said, this is as good a place as any. So I uh, took out the portable recorder and, you know, one by one, whoever came by, I just said, hey, let's uh, let's talk. Turns out they were all pretty interesting to talk to. So here we are. Let's go to the recordings that we did at TechEd a couple weeks ago. Hope you like it. Brenton Webster. Hi. How you doing, Carl? Nice to see you. Are you having nice a good show at TechEd? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. What about yourself? So, yeah, fine. So, uh, were you speaking at all? Yeah, I did a chalk talk session today uh, on a case study with a customer of ours, Commonwealth Bank of Australia. Oh, how'd it go? It was good. So, it was a chalk talk on a case study. What's the essence of that case study? The essence of the case study is really we worked with a company called Commonwealth Bank of Australia right. a couple of years ago, yeah. and we helped them with an architecture for one of their next generation applications. Okay. Uh, it's basically a .NET based smart client, okay. consumes web services, uh, mm-hmm. it's deployed to 30,000 users across 1,700 sites okay. uh, within Australia, it's fully in production now, Great. So it's a really great solution. And it probably didn't take too, too long, how, did, how long did it take? Well, it actually didn't take that long, we first started working with them in around about uh, April of 2004. And when you say we, you are Microsoft? Yes. Yeah, yeah. okay, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't introduce you and your... And your title. What's your That's title? Okay. I'm a solutions architect. Okay. Yeah. So, so around 2004, April, you said? Around April 2004, um, my team, which is the architecture strategy team at Microsoft, right. we started working with CBA. Yeah. Uh, we worked with them for about three months in uh-huh. Redmond. 
mm-hmm. helped them with some upfront architecture and design. Yeah. And then they took the project back to Sydney yeah. and started uh, and basically continued the implementation. Yeah. So they put their first version into production in September of 04. Wow. Next version, December of 04. And every quarter since then, they've continued to make a release and basically ramping up from zero users initially, obviously, up to around about 30,000 now. Wow, it's amazing that you got V1 in five months, huh? Yeah. That's pretty awesome. It's definitely pretty amazing. Um, The team did a really great job. And I think one of the keys was actually working the project very iteratively and incrementally. Yeah. So very much doing small pieces, putting them in production, learning the lessons, and then growing it over time. Awesome. So now you've been to TechEd a few times. Uh, What do you think of this year? Boston, you know, it's kind of a crazy town. This is pretty cool. Transportation's uh, kind of hard. Yeah, right? transport's a little bit hard. The hotels are a bit far away from the convention center. Yeah. But the convention center's really new. It's, yeah. uh, I think it's a cool venue. It's a great town. A I lot love of history. Boston. Yeah, a lot of history. So did you go to any uh, Boston, you know, establishments while you were here? Some. Not so much on the Boston establishments yet. Maybe I'll head out later tonight. Yeah, okay. Any restaurants or anything like that or... You know, the um, Durgan Park or no, I haven't Legal been there. Seafoods or any of the staples of Boston? No, I haven't checked that out. We went to a restaurant Monday night. I yeah. can't remember the name of that. It wasn't, wasn't that uh, well, impressive. Well, here we are at Fenway Park, though. This is yeah. going to be pretty cool. Fenway's cool. The, yeah. the green monster. Yeah. <laughs> have, you, have you ever seen a Red Sox game on TV before? On TV, sure. Yeah. But uh, I've, I've never been to Fenway itself. I've, I've driven past last time I was in Boston. This Pretty is my cool. first time in the ballpark. So what's next for you at work on, on the architecture team? What's, what's new? So one of the key focuses for us this year is around uh, software as a service. Right. And also Web 2.0. So we see those Web as... Web 2.0? Web 2.0. Oh, Web 2.0. Yeah. I'm sorry. So we see those as key areas moving forward, obviously. Yeah. So we're putting a lot of effort around uh, our architecture work around software as a service and yeah. also web 2.0. So tell, me, tell, us, tell the listeners what you exactly mean by web 2.0. Well, I think uh, a lot of people mean a lot of different things about web 2.0. Yeah. When we talk about it, we generally talk about edge architecture. You're, you're not talking about infrastructure, uh, internet infrastructure. You're talking about services on top of TCP IP, wherever that is, right? Sure. So... I mean, there's a lot of different technologies and things that people talk about when they think Web 2.0. Right. One of the things that we try and focus on is edge architecture. So in terms of, you know, empowering the user, architecting things for the user, enabling users to create mashups themselves as opposed to having these big structured systems that are created for them. Right. Well, very good. Well, I wish you lots of luck on that. Of course, we'll be watching to see what comes out of Redmond in the very near future. Thanks a lot, Brenton. Thanks, Carl. Bye. Cheers, mate. Dr. Neil Rudin. Hey, Carl. How are you doing? How are you, my friend? I'm good. You enjoying Fenway Park? I am really enjoying Fenway Park, especially the beer. Yeah. I, I've what been a little bit partied out. Yeah, the food is pretty good. You know, it's better than Fenway food, where we are. Uh-huh. They have, like, a buffet and stuff, but you can still We're get in the, the posh bit, right? Yeah, yeah, we are. We're like it. Which is where you'd expect to find... This is the Carl cat's Franklin ass up here. ...and Dr. Neil in the posh bit. <laughs> where else would we be? Still still get a lot of mileage out of your Extreme.net book. Good. Very good. And, you know, I haven't thanked you on the air personally for... All the work you did on the road trip uh, site, tracking our RV across the country. That was great. Thank You're you. You're very welcome. It was a lot of fun getting it done. When you told us the day you left that you'd like to have a real-time tracker that tracks you yeah, it was <laughs> around the States. Kind of so haphazard, but it was fun. Yeah, it was You good. rose to the challenge. You said, we can do this. And you got it done. It's only software. Awesome. So what, what are you thinking about these days? What's next? What's new? Um... How to get some of the, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a bit talked out with Extreme.net. Yeah. Um, a lot well, of the agile you, stuff. What I about feel. adoption? Are people using this stuff? or? 
I, I get a feeling that we're over the we're over the chasm. Um, agile is moving into mainstream. Yeah. Um, a lot of the techniques most people know about in development now, most people know what, or at least have some concept of what test-driven development is, right. refactoring, uh, mainstream toolkits are getting the features that we yeah. expect to see. Right. They're not all right, but right. they're getting them. And so we're moving into a stage of, you know, how do you get the mainstream utilizing right. more of the right practices and getting it right. Yeah. Um, and to, to be honest, that stuff... I don't find as interesting. I like to push the curve. Right. Um, you know, I was doing agile stuff, you know, six, seven years ago. So, right. you know, I feel I feel like I've pushed you, that curve. You've done your work. I've done the work. And You're I'm, moving and now, on. You know, I'm looking for the next new thing. And I think there's a lot of new stuff out there. I'm still looking. I'm still very interested in the psychology of software development. Right. And um, the soft skills aspect. What is your PhD in? Uh, software architectures for real-time systems. Yeah. Uh, so I am a very much ones and zeros kind of guy. Right. But uh, I think the reality of large, so, you know, any large software system, i.e. written by more than one person, yeah. is it's about the team. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of work around where the value of the team in software development really yeah. is. Right. So what's new in Carl Franklin's life? New in me. Oh, you're turning the tables on me, huh? Uh-huh. Um, well, uh, an, we've, you know, this has been a very productive tech ed for me. We not only did a show here, you know, which, is, which you've already heard by now, but we've, um, we've put some new deals together. We're going to go to Europe. We're going to go to Barcelona in November. Very cool. For Tech Ed Europe. We're going to be doing uh, podcasts at the show there. Awesome. Uh, to sort of get people psyched and excited about Tech Ed Europe. We're going to be giving away some, uh, a free ticket. Ooh. So we're going to be putting together some, uh, you know, an online, uh, online thing. Probably by the time you hear this, listener, we'll already have it, so you know what I'm talking about. But, uh, yeah, and, and we're also putting together a new show, which we're going to be uh, reading, you know, sort of a short synopsis of new books that are coming out. Now, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. So... Were you actually going to read out a bit of each book? Or? Right. What I wanted to avoid was what they try to do at, uh, at user groups, which is, you know, everybody reads a book and then gives a report on it. Right. And you get a free copy or like two or three. Like a standard book club kind like of Like a thing. book club, yeah. I yeah. want to avoid giving uh, subjective opinions, and I just want to read it. I just want to read a little bit, you know, give you the table of contents, the overview, maybe a paragraph from some of the chapters. Uh, and and it's sort of take the place of you browsing the book in the bookstore, and you can listen to it on your way to work. I like it. We're going to try to do it every day, too. So what I want to understand, Carl, is you're doing all these radio shows, all these podcasts. Right. You're doing all this cool stuff, online media. Right. When do you ever get any chance to write code anymore? You know, I'll tell you, every once in a while... I pull an all-nighter, and I'm writing code like crazy. I'm now, loving it. Now, there are the it. times that I see you on IM, and you ask me questions like, how does an if-else <laughs> statement work, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, I, I've created this for loop, and I can't get out of it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> so, um, that's, you know, the thing is, is that I, I still get to code, but I don't do it because I have to. I do it because I love to. Cool. And that's kind of a nice thing. But, you know, I've been around this business quite a while. Uh-huh. My, you know, my, my focus now is on finding new talent, finding people to, to, you know, to hold up in the community, finding the smart people out there who want to jump up and take our places, you know. It's all about uh, building up the community as far as I'm concerned. Cool. That's and so is that the doing. focus of Franklin's Net now? No, Franklin's Net is still a training company. Okay. And, uh, you know, I'm basically looking for the best trainers I can find. To partner with them, I don't take very much in terms of percentage, you know. But but you know, my job is to find the good classes. So if you're a and good trainer and you're looking to help Carl get richer, then contact Carl at. No, Frank you know, Vincent. all I'm looking to do is make that training room pay for itself. So right. I'm not looking to get rich on that. Okay, cool. Yeah, sounds fun. Yeah, just as much as a, of a service as anything else. Yeah, and where are you doing? Where's Franklin's Net doing training at the moment. Roll around the we, U.S. We, no, we no no. We have one classroom in New London, Connecticut, halfway between Boston and New York. And okay, and that's the focal yeah. point. And that's it. Yep. People come there. They learn you know, the perhaps, good stuff. Perhaps if it gets really big and popular, they might hire somebody to expand that. But you know, it's really 
uh, it's just a continuation of what I've started. Right. You know, which is hands-on training by really experienced people who know what they're talking about okay. and know how to teach. You and know? then you've got your um, your music studio out the back of the training lab, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's just all fun, fun, fun for Carl. Well, it's a lot of hard work, but, you know, there are moments of fun. Yeah. In fact, my studio, I've always had sort of, you know, a home studio, but... Man, this is like it's supposed to be an interview with you, not me. <laughs> but you know, I have to stay away from it because I know that if I if I pick up the guitar and I start recording, man, I'll be up all night. You know, pretty soon I got a project and I get sucked in. I won't be able to. I mean, let... you definitely got that character persona of someone that when you get into something, you don't stop. Oh like, yeah, you're up that's, all night. I see. That's my problem. Like I'm in Sydney, Australia, and I see you <laughs> online, and I'm like, what time is it where Carl is? And it's like. You know, 4 a.m. and yeah. Carl's still hacking away at something, exactly. trying to get out of that for loop. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll give the mic to somebody else. Thanks, yes, Doctor. sounds good. You're Bye -bye. welcome. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Developer Express, crafting first-class tools, frameworks, and controls for the .NET developer. Improve your experience online at www.devexpress.com. It's Sahil Malik. Hey, how are you doing? How are you, man? I'm doing great, having fun. How was TechEd for you? Exhausting. Yeah. Overwhelming. There's so much to do and not enough time. What, uh, what were your favorite sessions? Well, I attended a few in the beginning. I've mostly been focusing on SharePoint 2007 and data and a couple of WinFX.NET 3.0 related sessions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and mostly I've been hanging around the lounge, uh, the expo area. <laughs> With you guys. <laughs> Some big parties going on here? Oh, yeah. There's like two, three parties every night. It's incredible. Yeah. You got to go party hopping. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you like the keynote? There was a keynote? <laughs> <laughs> it was okay, I guess. I, you know, there was... Uh, I left... I, I, I showed up in the middle. I left halfway. Yeah. Most of the keynote stuff, you know, that's going to be available all over the place anyway. Right, right. It's the other interesting stuff in corners that, you know, you don't get to see that easily. So is the SharePoint stuff anything new there that you learned or? Well, it's SharePoint 2007 is an incredible product. It's so much better than 2003. Yeah. The fact that it's based off of ASP.NET 2.0 makes it so much more usable. Right. And they've addressed most of the common uh Complaints, customer complaints that they had. So it's it's going to be. Which are what? Well, uh, say for uh, say replacing the authentication mechanism with uh, now you can it understand membership API. Okay. Uh, role providers built on ASP.NET 2.0 concept. Yeah. It's locked down from a security point of view. Right. And it's built on ASP.NET 2.0 web parts that just make it so much more extensible. Right. So it's a great product now. Yeah. So uh, when is this? Uh, when is the product coming out, or is it out, or what's the story with SharePoint? Well, I hear October two thousand six. So yeah. you can assume October, November-ish. Yeah, uh, that's the RTM. So it's going to be in everyone's hands around uh, early next year. Have you been using the beta yourself? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, you and, like it? Uh, oh, I love it. Yeah, it's 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 a very usable product. It's a lot bigger than two thousand three. Yeah, and uh, it's it's uh, it's it's a it's a product that I think is going to gain substantial importance you know with it's based off of master pages right. ASP.NET 2.0 it's a good product now what's the deal with .NET 3.0 well the thing that excites me the most obviously is ADO.NET 3.0 or ADO.NET Vnext as they like to call it yeah and link D-Link etc etc I, I led a birds of feather on D-Link we had fantastic in trust and participation in that now there's link and D-Link is is what the data side of, and they're really calling it link to SQL. Yeah. Now, and that's a smaller part of a bigger puzzle, which is really ADO.NET Vnext. Earlier today, Scott Guthrie was uh, showing me Blink, which is the ASP.NET version of D-Link. And, and it's fantastic how all ASP this... ASP.NET version. Yeah. So, 
Okay, so tell me how that's different than just using D-Link and ASP.NET. Well, well, when you look at when you when you look at D-Link as it is, you know, it really doesn't lend itself to ASP.NET very easily, uh, except in the main because CTP. Because it's stateful, is that why? Or yes, but in the main CTP, they've done some fantastic enhancements. What Scott was showing me was that with with a little command line something, he's he was able to uh, pull all his entities out, bind them with object data sources create new extension methods specific to ASP.NET, and have things such as paging, etc., cetera, uh, be, come right out of the box, translated to actual SQL queries to the end database. Yeah. And uh, .NET 3.0, kind of a weird name, huh? Because it's really the 2.0 framework with added goo, Yeah, right? I, I agree. I mean, .NET 3.0, I wish they would call it .NET 2.5 or something like that, because yeah. CLR is still... 2.0. Yeah. I think they need to do a catch-up around 4.0 and have consistent names. Maybe some products will skip versions. Right. But I think keeping a consistent naming with all their individual pieces would make sense. Yeah. So what's next for you? What are you going to be doing uh, when you get back? Lots of sleep. <laughs> and uh, Writing a book. Well, I am thinking of starting another one. Uh, I, I just finished a chapter in uh, a, a book that was being led by Stephen Forte and Andrew Bruss, uh-huh. SQL Server 2005 by MS Press. Mm-hmm. M- my own solo effort, I guess, uh, my, my last was ProADO.NET 2.0. Mm-hmm. I think I will look at writing another one uh, about ADO.NET Vnext sometime next year. Okay. In the meantime, you're going to be speaking at the Capital Area Users Group, or in Washington, or yeah, there'll Virginia, be a number rather. of user groups that I'll be I'll be speaking at through through Ineta, and uh, I will also probably be at VS Live uh, this New York. Oh, good. Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll see where it goes. I should be at Discovery in uh, Redmond, also uh, in August. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Excellent. So yeah, it should be fun. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Sahil. Thank you, Carl. Always nice to meet you. You too. Talk to you later. Hey, we're here with Jeffrey Palermo. Jeff, what's up? Hey, Carl. Uh, it's just Thursday night. We're at the attendee party in Fenway Park. One more day and then it's over. Right. It goes so quick. You've been a busy guy here at TechEd. What have you been doing? Well, we started out with Party with Palermo. This is the second time we've done it. Um, pretty much the day before TechEd, a lot of people get in the day before it starts, and, yeah. and there's nothing going on. So it right. just feels a little niche for uh, for a, me to say, hey, show up here. We're going to have a party. Yeah, and it's it's not like a paid party. It's a, in a bar. We just go to a bar. We meet there. We have a few beers or whatever. Right. And this year, we met at the Millennium Bostonium Hotel. Um I said, hey, just show up here. People showed up, you know, pick up their own tab. Now, what if this 30? becomes too big and, you know, we, it, it turns into, like, a real huge deal? Are you prepared well, to scale? Well, <laughs> uh, like I say on my development team, I'll, I'm going to yag me that until I have to worry about it. <laughs> so <laughs> you knows? did something here at the show that I thought was really, really cool. It's like the first day we were here, you set up a folder share for photos, right? Yeah. Tell me about that. Well, Folder Share was recently acquired by Microsoft and made one of those Windows Live services. And I've started using it for my own personal use a couple months ago. So Steve, tell Steve, us what it is in case me, yeah, me, people okay. haven't been listening. So, uh, I'll give credit to Steve Doney for, for introducing it to me. But what it, it's a peer-to-peer client. It's a small application that runs uh, in your system tray. And you designate a folder on two computers, you, you install it on two, two of your own computers or two in any two computers, and you say, I want to keep these two folders completely in sync. And so no matter what computer it is, if a file gets dropped on one side, it'll pop over on the other side. And it can be behind a NAT router. It doesn't matter. You have to, no ports completely peer-to-peer. goes through firewalls, and it just keeps, keeps those folders in sync. So now with the TechEd... Um, with TechEd coming, a lot of people had digital cameras, and a lot of people are taking pictures, including myself. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could all share pictures? Yeah. So what I did, is I, I've got a server at my house. It has about 10 gigabytes of free space. I figured, well, that sucker's always online. I can right. use it. Right. Even though my own laptop's not going to be always online here at TechEd <laughs> yeah. for, yeah. for the peer-to-peer sharing to work. Yeah. So created the pictures folder share account. 
and then you can invite people to right. take part in it. Yeah. So I've invited a lot of people. How many people? I guess I've invited about 40 people so far. Wow. Now, I realize a lot of people haven't checked their email, haven't hooked it up yet because yeah. they're busy with the... I haven't had the bandwidth, personally, except on the show floor. Right. My hotel bandwidth is non, non-usable. So there's been about 13 people who, are, who have been actively syncing during the week, and we're up to about 130 pictures. Wow. But I expect it to balloon whenever tech heads over and people get a chance to sync up with their computers. Now, you know, what's funny about folder shares, as soon as Scott Hanselman showed it to me, who else, right? Yeah. And, you know, the thing about that struck me was I had this idea. I had this idea two years ago, maybe even a year and a half ago, to, and I was going to call it wormhole. Because, okay. you know, everybody understands that metaphor, and there isn't any communication, you know, FTP. There's none of that configuration required. Right. That's what I love about it. And so I had this idea, and like every other idea I have, I, I see it, and a year and a half later, somebody's done it. <laughs> it just goes to show you that, you know, we're all thinking about, you know, the problems that exist and how to solve them. Yeah. Well, it's great now that we have a lot of pictures that I would have never been able to capture on my yeah, own. Very cool. And uh, Jeff Julian, who runs Tech Ed Bloggers, yeah. he, he, I told him about it, and he jumped on it, and he took it a step further. He hooked up Tech Ed Bloggers... Uh, the server that runs it to sync up with the share. So now he's got all the pictures on Tech Ed Bloggers and he hooked up on RSS feed. Awesome. So now you can just go to the website and there's a web server where anybody can, can look at the pictures. It's That's great. so cool. So uh, what's new for you? What are you going to be uh, doing when you get home? Well, wait a well, minute. Let's, let's talk. Maybe we should talk first about you know, some of the sessions that you might have seen at Tech Ed. What's really catching your interest? Well, I'm concentrating on SQL Server 2005 right now because um, that's, it, it's, it's going to be pertinent to my company soon. Yeah. Uh, we got some database issues to sort through, and mm-hmm. we're going to be upgrading hardware sometime in the near future. I predict that we're going to really want to move yeah. to SQL Server 2005 and set up some disaster recovery using right. the mirroring feature. Yeah. So I've been looking into that. Um, I really haven't gotten into Windows Presentation Foundation. I know it's all over tech. But right, right, right. But uh, the, the current technologies have been keeping me really busy. Um, so I was, I was really early on the Whitby cycle, and I participated in the beta program. But right now, yeah. I'm on the current stuff, and, and, and I'm not that's able good. to do a whole lot of the new stuff. Well, that's good. So what's next for you um, when you get back? Well, um, I'm going to kiss my wife. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> Not go. your wife, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Uh, go back to work. <laughs> and, uh, I mean... Did you pick I, up any, any swag that you're going to put to use? Any software or see anything you like? Well, oh, actually, the vendors or? I, I went around the vendors and... Um, let me talk about let me talk about Code Rush and Refactor real quick. Yeah, we, Code Rush too. The Dev Express booth was 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 a pretty big attraction this year. Yeah. And Mark Miller, he lost his voice pretty early on. I he was giving all kinds of demos. And uh, and of course, my company, all the developers use ReSharper. Right. And but but you know, Code Rush and Refactor Pro is a really good product as yeah. well. Yeah. And just after this week, I I, I made the decision that I'm going to install Code Rush and Refactor, and because they don't—they're both productivity tools, mm. but they don't overlap completely. They, yeah. they overlap some. Yeah. So I'm going to install you mean Refactor both. and ReSharper. What I'm ta- I'm talking the Dev Express tools, yeah. which is Refactor Pro and De- and Code Rush. Yeah. And then JetBrains tools, which is ReSharper. Yeah. You're going to install both of them at the same time. I currently I, I've been I use ReSharper, and I just I, I've just upgraded to their 2.0 release. I'm going to install the DevExpress tools as well because okay. it's a little bit of an overlap. Yeah, but there is a lot that is not overlapped. Yeah, and so, so I it's figure, why can't I just use them both? Because I get I'll get a ton of stuff out of Code Rush and Refactor. Yeah, and I'll get a ton of stuff out of. And Resharper. you tried them both? You tried them all? And they seem to I, live together. I have not. So okay. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Well, you have to call the show or email and tell us how that how went. It, how it works that side by side. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Cool, Jeff. Thanks. Anything right. else you want to say before we um, pull the plug? Just for the for the next for the next tech ed, 
I was talking to, to Michael Palermo, which is the regional director out of Arizona. And next time, he's going to get there the day early, and we are going to have Party with Palermo Square. <laughs> Excellent. Look forward to that. Excellent. We'll talk to you later. All right. Have a good trip home. Thanks, Carl. All right, bye. We're here with John Lamb. Hi, John. Hey, Carl. How you doing? I don't think you've ever been on the show before. No, I haven't. Somehow I've been able to run away from you. Yeah, and I guess. Hide and all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> you never call. You never write. No, I you know. know. Hopefully, you're not too bitter about that. Oh no, not at all. So you've been a. We talked about you on Hansel Minutes a few times. Apparently Scott, so. Yeah. Scott is very enamored with your. Uh, Scott's uh, your my Ruby fan tools. So so Ruby, we've talked about it on the show a couple of times. For the totally uninitiated, what's what's Ruby? And I know that's you know that's so what Ruby you do. is a dynamically typed language. So Ruby yeah. is similar to other dynamically typed languages like Python and JavaScript and Perl. Yeah, um, that have been around for a long time as well. And Ruby's actually been around for a long time as well. It's a ten plus year language. So typeless, in other words. No, 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 no. Dynamically typed. Okay, so what's the difference? When I have an object in Ruby, that object is type. Right. When I have an object in JavaScript, that object also has type. And so I think the problem is, is that there's been sort of like a smear campaign going on against these so-called typeless languages because the variables that refer to the objects don't have type. Yeah. But the objects themselves absolutely have type. Okay. That's a little bit different. Yes. Yeah. So the nice thing about the variables that refer to the objects not have typing is it makes it a lot easier for me downstream to change right, the types of the objects without necessarily having to change... All of the so you don't have the typical casting headache. Exactly. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Among yeah. other things. Among yes. other things. What are some of the other advantages? So as a dynamically typed language, I have the ability to change the type of an object at runtime. Yeah. So, you know, unlike say C sharp, where when I compile something, it is baked at runtime. Right. Right. I can't change the type. I can't add methods. I can't add fields. But in a Ruby language like Ruby, I can absolutely walk up to a type and change. I can walk up to a type and change or add a method or a field or even on an object instance, not just on a type, but on an object instance, I can do those And this is well. totally different because, you know, most of the time casting, you're dealing with the interface. You're dealing with your interface to the object yes. and how you're looking at that object. Yes. You're talking about changing the object itself. Exactly. I can change the Much object different. or its class. Yeah. Um, some of the wackier things that you'll see, the Iron Python guys really like to show the demo where they, on the fly, change the type that a type inherits from at runtime. Huh. Um, weird. So, yeah, it is weird, but they have some funky GUI demos, which are so actually So I guess the compelling. question on everyone's mind is, you know, what are, give me a situation in which this becomes very, very useful. Yeah, so there's an awful lot of power and flexibility, as you can see there. Right. Um, so the question is, how do I channel that power and flexibility so that we can use it in some kind of useful thing, not just right. these interesting toy examples? Right. So the way I like to explain it is that in most software that we write, what we're interested in doing is creating version N plus 1 of yeah. an application. Yeah. Whereas almost all of our tools, like think of wizards and all that kind of stuff, it's all about creation, creating version 1. Yeah. Right? So we're trying to create version 1, but... The, over the life cycle of a product, we're really trying to modify the code that we created at some other point right. in the past. Yeah. So can we do that? That's, yeah. that's the challenge. And what we find anecdotally with these dynamically typed languages is that it does turn out to be much easier to change the design of our applications yeah. because of this flexibility we got in that yeah. set of features we just talked about. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, you're hearing Train in the background. They're playing an Aerosmith song here in Boston. That's oh, kind, yeah. of, kind of appropriate. A little distracting. Sorry about that. So, that. You know, we think that that crowd is for us, you know, actually. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Those are all the Ruby fanboys out there in the fans. audience. So, so what are some of the... So Ruby is this thing that is all, all you know, in a bucket by itself. What are some of the implementations of Ruby on different platforms and, and specifically the ones that you're involved in? Well, so the nice thing about Ruby is, is that there really is only one implementation. There's one set of source code that's compiled and retargeted for multiple platforms. I see. Like Unis, the various Unices as well as Windows as well. Yeah. Um, so what I've created is 
this thing called Ruby CLR, which is yeah. a high fidelity bridge between Ruby on Windows and the CLR. I so see. I can consume .NET objects inside Ruby code, and I can also implement .NET objects in Ruby. All right. So you can use basically, what this means is you can use Ruby to write .NET applications. Exactly. And vice versa. Yes. Yeah. So you could write a C-sharp app and make the jump to, into Ruby if you needed to. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Very cool. So what's Ruby on Rails? So Ruby on Rails is the bell of the ball. It's <laughs> a web application framework that is all the rage with the kids these days. Okay. So what we find with Ruby on Rails is it's a technology that, you know what, a year and a half ago didn't exist. Yeah. Um, but in the ensuing year and a half, it's been written up in virtually all of the mainstream media publications, from things like the Wall Street Journal to Business Week to Wired Magazine. Yeah. Um, the creator of Ruby on Rails, David Heinemeyer Hansen, is being lauded as he's effectively the Linus Torvalds of right now. Okay. Um, he's 25. He had this really good idea about creating a web application framework, but he didn't set out to create the framework. Yeah. He set out to build an application. He right. was hired by a company called 37 Signals yeah. to build a project management application called Basecamp. Okay. And he extracted the Rails framework from the Basecamp application. Okay. So that was what was really interesting. It wasn't some ivory tower thing. It wasn't right. some guy sitting around saying, well, if I build this framework and I do this and this and this, people will go off and build it. Right build applications, he extracted it from it, so it wound up being truly useful, because it was useful in his app. Yeah. And at the end of the day, all David really cared about was building Basecamp. If yeah. other people wanted to use the thing that he extracted out of it, all the better. Yeah, excellent. So are, are you using this uh, technology yourself? So with Rails, last year, as part of a large .NET web services project, um, we built a Rails website as a support thing for our core thing, which was built on top of .NET. Yeah. Um, generally, what you find when you're trying to get a boutique technology, perhaps, yeah. like Ruby, into a more established company, it's hard to make it the core thing. Right. Like, we're going to build your entire application right. using Ruby. But instead, if we build utilities or our build system, our build and deploy system was all written in Ruby as yeah. well. Those are much less risky things from the perspective of management to get right, in. Right. But yet we were able to get productivity gains and pass the cost savings on to the customer, and they were really happy with that yeah, as well. Yeah, great. Yeah, I know, as I said, you know, Hanselman has been talking about Ruby for a long time. And, well, you know, what does Microsoft think of Ruby? What do you think? So the really nice thing about me being at TechEd this year was uh, Mahesh Prakriya, he's the program manager for Dynamic Languages on the CLR. Okay. I kind of started lobbying a bunch of friends inside of Microsoft to see if I could get a slot to talk about Ruby and Ruby CLR at TechEd. Yeah. And I'm sure you know, but you know, TechEd is a rather political thing. It's sure. really, really hard to get talks, especially sure. late in the game yep. when all the, the, the sessions have already been locked down. Right. So Mahesh was really, really nice in that he gave up half his talk. Wow. He said, you know what, John, if we can't get you here with your own talk, I'll give you half my talk. And he was originally going to talk the whole thing about Iron Python. Huh. Um, and he said, okay, well, here you go. Here's 30 minutes to talk about Ruby CLR. Sweet. And it turned out to be a really, really nice thing. I really thank wow. Mahesh for you know, the opportunity to make this happen. So the CLR team is really supportive of this. Um, there are lots of other folks inside of Microsoft that have been watching Ruby CLR as well, and they're really supportive of the effort. So Microsoft's really happy to get more languages on the CLR because you know what? It's a platform play for Microsoft. Sure. The more languages on the CLR, the happier they are, the more successful their platform's going to be. So if you could put on your, you know, another hat, what would you think the problems would be that Microsoft would have with, with Ruby? Do they, is there any downside to them? Oh, If you could put on your political sure. hat. Yeah, so to put on my political hat, Microsoft has its own web application framework in ASP.NET. Sure. And so if you think about it, you know, Rails is a direct competitor to ASP.NET. I think that we haven't seen anywhere near as many um, defections yeah. from ASP.NET land into Rails land as the Java community has seen. Right. Or the PHP community has seen going right. over to Rails. Right. But do you and, really think that Ruby on Rails is uh, comparable to ASP.NET in terms of breadth of features and stuff? I mean... Oh, hell yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So, and that's the thing that I think is keeping Scott Guthrie up at night, is Rails. 
huh. because that is hands down the biggest source of comp competition to ASP.NET right now. Really? Now, the interesting thing is Rails developers are very, very productive and very happy writing Rails code, even though they don't have a giant IDE with all the intelligence and the designer right. features and stuff that they have in but Visual Studio. But do they Studio. have the depth of the base class library at their disposal? I mean, do they have that kind of thing? Ruby's got a very and large a, set of libraries and you know, all that the, are uh, outside of just Rails itself. But the, I what think about the, all those high-level things that ASP.NET especially Well, here's a really you. interesting thing about Rails is that they essentially intentionally stayed away from the control model yeah. that I think personally is the source of ASP.NET's power yeah. and is also its biggest weakness at the same time. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of complexity in the control model. There's a lot of tooling that's required to make the control model work yeah. at all. Yeah. You know, so for an open source community like Ruby, if they try to go off and tackle stuff like, you know, let's build a giant IDE and all this kind of stuff, it's really, really, really hard yeah. for those guys to make that happen. Yeah. But they've got limited resources yeah. as well. Yeah. So I think that there's a lot of really nice things inside of Rails that make people productive, even if they're just using a text editor. Right. Hmm. You know, and I think the sincerest form of flattery is imitation of sorts. Yeah. And we're seeing quite a lot of things inside of ASP.NET that look and feel and smell and taste an awful lot like some of the things that, that Rails pioneered. And just on a final note, um, I know that one of the allures of Ruby, to Scott anyway, is, is like if you could take the, you know, the approachability of Visual Basic without all the, the verbosity. Yes. You know, that's where you, where you find Ruby, somewhere in the middle there. It's, a, it's not cryptic like C Sharp, but it's not uh, verbose like VB. Yes. It's some, it, you know, it's elegant. So my new meme here is line noise. Yeah. I like to compare <laughs> C Sharp directly to Ruby via this line noise thing. Static. Yeah. yeah. So it's all about, you know, how much other stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with it describing your intent, right? Like right. when I'm writing some software, I'm trying to yeah. describe my intent. I'm trying yeah. to describe a solution to a yeah. problem. How much stuff do I have to type that has nothing to do with solving the problem but has everything to do with keeping the compiler happy? Yeah. That's one of the things we see in Ruby is that there's far less keeping the compiler happy because you know what? There's no compiler. It's right. an interpreter. Right. And a yeah, lot that's more we didn't say. focused on trying to express a solution to your problem. So there's much less stuff standing in the way of you understanding what the code does. So where's a, where's a place somebody can go to get started checking out Ruby? So by far the best place for you to go if you've never done any Ruby code before is to go to tryruby.hobix, that's H-O-B-I-X.com, or just type tryruby, all one word, into Google, and you'll find it. Excellent. And it's an interactive online tutorial for Ruby. So the cool thing is, is that I can run and type Ruby code in a web browser without installing any software on my client. Huh. And underneath it, there's this really clever tutorial, which essentially watches what you're typing as you're typing it, huh. and will move to the next page and suggest more things for you to try out. Neat. All within a, web, within a web browser. Neat. John, thanks a lot hey, for you're talking very to welcome, us. Carl. And we definitely have to have you back for some more talk. Yeah, you bet. All right, thanks. This portion of .NET Rocks brought to you by Telerik RAD Controls, the most comprehensive suite of components for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications online at www.telerik.com. Okay, next up is Vivek Vade from ThoughtWorks. Hi, Vivek. Hello. How are you doing, Carl? I'm doing fine. How's the show for you? The show has been uh, pretty interesting. Uh, train was good, and uh, I enjoyed some of the other speakers. So yeah. I think uh, Ticket has been good. What were some of the, your favorite sessions? That's interesting. Uh, I think that uh, Avalon sessions were probably my favorite sessions. Really? But that just reflects my area of interest. Yeah. Uh, primarily reflecting what I think my personal opinions, again, not right. our works, uh, are the next best thing or next big thing for Microsoft. So you guys have plans for Avalon? Uh, for Windows f f uh, presentation? Not yet, foundation? but I think uh, there's definitely an intent to have plans for Avalon. Right. What kind of things do you see yourself doing uh, in the future with it? So, software is a funny uh, space, right? Like, we're really good at building applications and 
making them work really, really well. Right? Yeah. But I think the gray screen is uh, yeah, kind of passe. Yeah. Right? So, uh, Boring. Yes. Uh, web applications are definitely much piffier than before. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, like everything, there needs to be a, a point of instigation. You know, yeah. The change agent, yeah. so to speak. So it's not like web applications haven't uh, required a change agent. Yeah. I mean, if you see uh, CSS Zen Garden, that's been just one of my most inspirational sites. Right. But Avalon, I think, will give it uh, a new breath of life because uh, you can do it for both desktops and web applications. Yeah. So, as you know, we had uh, Jean-Paul from ThoughtWorks, Jean-Paul Boudou. Jean-Paul Boudou. On, uh, on DNR TV, did a Absolutely. few. He's going to do a few more. You guys, uh, not, I don't know if our listeners know about ThoughtWorks and the origin of it. Why don't you mm-hmm. give us a little history? Sure. ThoughtWorks is around 13 years old. It started off as Singham Business Services. Roy Singham, the charismatic CEO of ThoughtWorks, started this uh, company. It's around 10 years old now. Uh, when to officially take took the name of ThoughtWorks. Uh, it does custom software development. It started off as a pure jo- uh, Java shop, actually. Well, it's Martin Fowler's domain, though, right? Yes, it's- absolutely. Martin Fowler uh, is a very strong influencer uh, in ThoughtWorks. And, uh, is he involved in the company? He is definitely involved in the company. He is yeah. the chief scientist of ThoughtWorks. I see. But uh, we have a lot of strong uh, thought leaders in the company as a whole. So I look at it as a hotbed for innovation, right. thought leadership. And, and just, you know, we, we haven't really talked about Martin on, on .NET Rocks, but so there's probably a lot of listeners out there who don't know about him and his history with, you know, mm-hmm. objects. And what, where, where did he uh, come to fame? Uh, Martin Fowler has been writing about objects and refactoring and UML for a long time. Right. Uh, so he, I mean, he's been in the industry for so long. I mean, so he's, he's he was he was a early small talker. Right. So that's how experienced. Yeah, he is he's been like the oop god for a long, exactly. long time. Yeah. So uh, you know, he's been writing about agile, and his latest stuff was about enterprise uh, integration patterns. And that has been really interesting uh, stuff because people do it all the time, but no yeah. one has kind of cataloged it. So he did a good uh, job of that. And, you know, he's, uh, he's a thought leader. but And I also wanna, in, in extreme mm-hmm. programming and agile technologies, yep. he's the... Yep, yeah. he was one of the, one of the I don't know, the group of people who founded XP with Ken Beck and right. uh, Jim Highsmith and so on and so forth. Right. So he's got a serious history in software development. Yes, he does. And uh, how many how many people work for ThoughtWorks? Uh, Seven hundred people in six countries: uh, wow. Canada, U.S., U.K., China, India, and Australia. So it's a pretty much global footprint. That's great. And um, uh, obviously, you you guys are well versed in the sort of architectural domain. You know right. the you know the the classic uh, patterns and, and things like that. What how do you like to work yourself? You know what what's what's in your tool set? It's uh, it's like getting on drugs, right? Once you've had a sniff, you don't want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, you know, when you start a project, what's your, you know, what are your mantras? What are your absolute rules that you, that uh, the you absolute, start with? The absolute rules uh, are, uh, you know, there, there's an icon which you see pretty often, right? It's called Think. Yeah. It, it ends with an exclamation mark. And yeah. that's our absolute mantra for a project. Right. Think, right? So yeah. XP, uh, because it's XP, doesn't mean it's right. 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 So the goal for every single project is to think. Right. right. Like, is this working for you? Can we make it better? So right. you guys aren't aren't fundamentalists. Let's put it that because you know you a lot of people think you are. Um, we we are and we are not. We are not extremists on the process. We are extremists about being uh, innovative and being introspective. Right. Right. Just because you're doing something. Regardless of whether it's Agile or Scrum, right. I mean, I should say XP or Scrum or yeah. a combination of anything, doesn't mean you're right because the whole deal with Agile, which is lost in this in this madness for getting out from waterfall, is right. uh, the think word, right? Right. Like Agile basically talks about thinking about doing before you're doing. Right. So right. Anyway, we'll well, that's that. that's a that's a very good uh, approach. You don't do something just because you think it's the right way. If, if it doesn't fit, 
It doesn't you fit. Don't, it doesn't right? fit. Big Can't projects work way. differently from small projects, right? And yeah. you have to recognize that big projects need more process than small projects do. Yeah. So if you are just saying, oh, by the way, I'm doing agile, so I'm good. That's not good enough. Right. You have to think. Excellent. Well, you got anything else that you want to add before we turn off the uh, recorder here? Uh, no. Uh, I'm glad uh, we've been talking in this drunken state uh, at Fenway Park. Yeah. But uh, it's been a good chat with you. And Great. Tech it has been a lot of fun. Excellent. All right. So, well, thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Bye, Vivek. And I'm here with Adam Kogan at Fenway Park. Hi, Adam. Mr. Franklin, what are you doing getting people at the very end of parties? Yeah, that's my, uh, you know, I figure if they're drunk, they'll talk more and <laughs> ruin their career on my show, so which will be good for my ratings. Uh, so. I've probably said worse other times, don't worry. <laughs> so how did you find TechEd this year? Uh, TechEd was, uh, well, it all got better from the keynote onwards. <laughs> <laughs> Not a fan of the keynote, I see. Uh, well, it was rough. Yeah, I think, well, I missed, I, I think I realized I missed Bill and Steve yeah. one, once uh, I didn't have them. Yeah. I, I realized yeah. how much I enjoyed them, and uh, actually, I never considered them funny until I saw people that uh, <laughs> weren't, weren't funny. <laughs> well, that aside, how was the show? Oh, the show's been good. Uh, I've seen some uh, pretty interesting things. Um, I'm pretty impressed with what's been done with uh, Atlas. Yeah. I uh, have some clients uh, in the last year that have had some mammoth problems on some very large sites with a massive amount of JavaScript yeah. and having real fragile problems. Yeah. I think uh, moving all that away into a strongly typed framework, yeah. that's a good thing. And you know, I think the next step will be to learn to you know, move the rest of it into bits that, that uh, generate JavaScript rather than guys writing JavaScript and breaking pages left, right, and center. Yeah. And hopefully we might see uh, a unit testing for JavaScript. Yeah, that'd day. be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, how about uh, the, you know, the Data Dude product? Have you seen that? Oh, I've seen the Data Dude product. Uh, yeah. That's, that's compelling. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, finally we're going to have the, uh, the hardcore SQL DBAs using Visual Studio, so that's right. going to be a win. Right. Uh, it's been... It's, it's been, it's actually got a few steps to go, but yeah. it's compelling in terms of uh, we've got something that is a source, you know, source control for SQL Server. Mm -hmm. It's good how it generates the entire script. Uh, you've got a deployment solution now. You've got the basic stuff like comparing databases and comparing the data in databases. Right. It's really going to help the dev test production scenarios yeah. uh, for, for everyone. What I'd really love to see in the future yeah. Is like uh, a little bit more like when you can you make a connection to a database from the front end. Mm -hmm. I'd like to you know have it so that it pulls more than just the connection string. It pulls in you know all the all the information about the objects, tables, views, uh, stored procs, relationships. Yeah. And so when we go to do a compile, let's just some, say some some guy goes in there and renames the table. We get a compiler from the front end. That would be mm. beautiful. And I can see that coming in the next version, the data dude Yeah, stuff. it sort of relates to the whole IntelliSense thing that we talked with the guys about, mm. you know, uh, and what a challenge that is because it means that, you know, they have to go back to the database to get the, you know, the stuff that comes out in IntelliSense. And, you know, trying to manage that can be kind of, kind of a problem. I can imagine the same kind of thing would be true. You know, if you're doing any, any front-end, have front-end lists of tables and store procedures and things like that. Yes, I think we're going to see a much more yeah. integrated solution with you. But yeah. it's interesting that, they're, you know, that they feel the pressure to get that feature in there, which ultimately is good for everyone else. Probably sometime in the future, you're going to see some really innovative stuff coming out of Yeah, I that's what happens with Microsoft, right? Let's get this. We've got to have this feature. And they rack their brains. They come up with something brilliant. Like the uh, like the Visual Basic, uh, uh, you know, the feature of edit and continue. Yes. And how what, technically, that's just insane what they did, but it works. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I can see in the next version of Data Dude, we uh, 
we're working and we want to rename, say, a table or rename, say, customer to client, yeah. it would just rename the tables and the stored procs all in one go. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so that's going to be great. Yeah, that's great. I'm into refactoring. I'd also like to see the refactoring bubble up into the code. Yeah. Which is... Yes, definitely. Yeah. I've been uh, watching a lot of baseball tonight. I'd like yeah. to do a bit of refactoring on that. That's for sure. <laughs> I'd like to see them... I can never tell if it's a ball or a strike. I'd like to see them actually... I'd like to see this, though, like... Uh, circle that they throw it into and it's got a net and if it goes in it's a strike so that'd be a good improvement adam's rules for baseball <laughs> speaking of rules you know you've sort of been like the cast is like the rule nazi on our show we've had some, you know emails some people really like it all the structure and other people are like oh my god i'm glad i don't work for that guy yeah last time uh, i was on dotnet rocks talking about my rules i got a I got a lot of very nice emails, and I got a few that said, oh, you're, you're a nut. Uh, you, you're killing creativity in software, and right. oh, gee, I'm glad I don't work for you. And so, so here's your chance to respond to them. Well, uh, well I actually don't believe I'm killing uh, creativity <laughs> or, or productivity. I think uh, the idea... There would be no fun? <laughs> well, the idea is to, is to learn from your, you know, your past... Uh, decisions and you know right. past research. Right. When you turn up to a customer, they're yeah. not that interested in learning about all the different challenges and all right. the different options that you can do. Right. They really just want to get to the little meat of their problem. Right. So uh, I say take away uh, you know a series of decisions until you need to make your own best practices. Right. Yeah. You know, let's make software a bit more. Uh, Productive, I guess. Well, I, I liken what you're doing to a sort of like boot camp, you know, like army training, you know. And I guess we, <laughs> we touched on that a little bit. But, you know, it's painful, uh, you know, when you're learning and adapting your behavior. But once you go through that, then you're a much more powerful, much more productive developer. Would you say that's the case? Uh, especially because you can't really work these days individually. You've got yeah. to work as part of a team. Yeah. So the only way of working as part of a team is being consistent. There's no point in, oh, that page, oh, it was clearly done by Carl because it's got all these idiosyncrasies. Right, right. You've got to be able to not know who wrote it. You've right. got to be able to just be able to pick up any, any piece of the application and fix it and without having some uptime to, you know, getting warmed up. Well, um, do you have any success stories or anything you want to talk about? I know you, you, know, you travel all over the world. You meet with a lot of customers. You develop a lot of software. Anything, any, you know, want to bang the drum a little? Oh, I don't know. About, I'm an Aussie. I don't bang my drum. But uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you where I'm uh, off to next. Uh, yeah. I'm doing uh, uh, a tech breakfast at uh, Scott Stanfield's uh, place in San, in San Francisco, Vertigo Software. Great. Yeah, Great. That's uh, in a week and a bit's time. And then I'm doing the Code Camp in San Scott Diego. Scott Stanfield, of course, the guy behind Grok Talks. Yes, and the guy behind uh, all the... .NET samples, really. That's I buy, right. Spy and and, and also the uh, the application from Dev Days a few years ago. Yes. What was yep. that? What was that uh, yeah. Uh, and then I'm off to uh, Hong Kong doing uh, a user group there and a day training. And uh, then I'm doing a series of cities through China. Wow. Yep. Because uh, I know you have some partners there. Yeah. Actually, we have an office there. Yeah. So uh, I might see the office for the first time. Wow. Uh, and then I go to Seoul and Japan. I'm climbing uh, Fuji <laughs> with a couple of guys you will know. <laughs> yeah, right, right. That would be Forte and uh, and Richard Campbell. That's right. Yeah. Right. Who are mysteriously absent? Yeah, I haven't I, seen I them tonight. I called them earlier and I said, "Hey, here I am. I got some uh, you know people that I want to interview. Come on up." And he said, "Okay." And well, we're going to find out what happened. I was drinking with them last night, and I think that it's not easy to keep up with an Australian. I don't think yeah. they have recovered yet. Right. <laughs> All right, Adam. Thanks a lot for talking to us. See ya. Thanks for listening to .NET Rocks, and we'll be back with the regular show next week. Have a great week. .NET Rocks can be found online at www.dotnetrocks.com and at msdn.microsoft.com slash dotnetrocks. .NET Rocks is edited each week by Jeff Maciolik, that's me, and Carl Franklin, who is also executive producer. 
All music heard on .NET Rocks, including Toy Boy, the theme song, is created and produced by Carl Franklin and Franklin Brothers Band. Carl never sleeps. .NET Rocks is produced for Franklin's Net by Plop Productions, providing professional audio and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. Plop, it's time to get your impact back. Yes, I'm a toy boy. Life is hard. Pay my taxes.